0: One Sunday morning, about 25 years ago, at a parish in the suburbs, before a small but attentive congregation, I preached my first sermon. The inspiration came to me on the spur of the moment. Overcome with concern for my flock, I issued dire warnings and fervent pleas. My theme was hell and how to avoid it. Now many worthy sermons have been preached about hell. The American theologian Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God is, of course, one well-known example. But monks, too, have always devoted careful attention to the so-called four last things – death, judgment, heaven, and hell. In his rule, St. Benedict exhorts us to fear the day of judgment, be in dread of hell to desire eternal life with all the passion of the Spirit, to keep death daily before one's eyes. But this particular sermon 25 years ago did not win a place among the monuments of that noble tradition. In fact, it it, it was a disaster. My small flock quickly turned against me, and they tattled. Later that day, after fielding a phone call from one angry parent, my mother summoned me. You should be ashamed of yourself, she said. These are five-year-olds. My preaching career ended as soon as it had begun, and I was only 12. But now you may be thinking, now he's a deacon. Now the Church has ordained him to preach. Today's gospel offers plenty of material. Is he preparing for a second attempt at this theme? I am not. In fact, I do not intend to preach a sermon at all on hell or on any other theme. Rather, I hope to preach a homily, about a homily. What is this other homily? We witnessed it just a moment ago. John recounted to the Lord Jesus his encounter with a rival exorcist. The Lord responded with a correction and a series of teachings. This exchange was the second half of a longer conversation that began last week. After ending the day's journey, the Lord and his disciples entered a house at Capernaum. Then he kicked things off with a provocative question. What were you arguing about on the way? Now, this conversation may not seem like any homily you've heard before. In fact, there are at least three aspects of it that should probably strike you as unusual, if we are considering it as a homily. But I would suggest that it is precisely these aspects that we should pay attention to, and especially I should pay attention to as the homilist. So, isn't a homily supposed to be a speech delivered by one person? Yes, but this speech should be a conversational speech. The Greek word homilia actually means conversation. One of its roots is homos, common, as in conversation. A homily is a speech done in common, as part of the shared experience of a group. Even when only the Lord Jesus is speaking, the others are actively listening to him, weighing his words, formulating questions and responses. We see this kind of homilizing throughout today's gospel and indeed throughout the Lord's public ministry. Only rarely does he deliver the extended soliloquies that many associate with homilies. Second, this homily began last week with an exchange about a conversation on the road and continues this week with an exchange about an encounter with rival religious figures and others outside the apostolic band. Now, isn't a homily supposed to explain the scriptures? Yes, it should. But Jesus, the homilist, makes use of the scriptures only in order to help listeners better understand their lives in relation to himself. Throughout his public ministry and up through his passion, resurrection, and ascension, he constantly cites and echoes the words of the Law and the Prophets of Israel. But he never does so merely to explain them. In his final words from today's Gospel, he describes Gehenna, the place of punishment in ancient Judaism and early Christianity. He quotes directly from the concluding verses of Isaiah, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, he does not bother to cite his source, and he does not explain why he cited this particular verse, among other possibilities. He's he's not giving us here a proof text for the existence of hell or for the features that would be found there. Rather, this is part of a homily that engages his disciples in the midst of their present experience and leads them to a greater understanding of the promised reward for fidelity in their discipleship as well as the consequences for infidelity. This is an image that shows us what separation, eternal separation from Jesus, is like. Finally, this homily takes place in a house at Capernaum. Now, isn't a homily supposed to take place at the liturgy, at the context of formal public worship? Yes, but a homily should still point beyond itself to the greater goal of the liturgy and of our lives. The Lord Jesus has stopped at Capernaum only for a time, and soon he will continue his journey. His destination is Jerusalem. Several Sundays ago at Caesarea Philippi, he began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer. He must be rejected and killed and rise after three days. In the intervening time, he has been leading them south through Galilee. Ultimately, they will reach Jerusalem, and only there will his prophecy find its fulfillment. Jerusalem will be the place both of his death and of his resurrection. The Lord Jesus shows us in his homily that we, too, are on the way to Jerusalem. In eight weeks, we will begin another liturgical year. From the very beginning of Advent, the Church invites us to set our faces towards Easter, that is, towards Jerusalem. The Passion and Resurrection which our Lord accomplished at Jerusalem is the center of the Church's calendar. Every day of the year either leads toward it or flows out of it. And every Easter, in turn, is a preparation and a a foretaste for the eschatological Easter at the end of each of our lives and at the end of time. Because Jesus, the homilist, delivers his homilies on the road, we must recognize that we too are proceeding along the road towards the destination, and we will arrive there sooner rather than later, prepared or not. With this, we finally return to where we started, not with a sermon on hell, the juvenilia of a preacher-to-be, but with the four last things of the Church's prayers and hopes. This is where the Lord leaves us in his homily today. Let us remember that amidst the frightening images of undying worms and unquenchable fires, Amidst the very real possibility of eternal separation from God, he also holds out to us the promise of reward. This is a reward, a life, and a kingdom which is so great that it cannot be diminished even if we enter crippled or half-blind. Let us pray that we too may not lose our reward.